All right, money, money talks, right? Yeah, not stressful at all. Yeah, I love money until I don't have any. (laughs) (laughs) How are you with your money? What would you say? I feel pretty good, especially considering how little I know and how desperate I needed to do this episode and learn things. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I've always been pretty conservative about like never spending more than I have in terms of my credit card, like always paying it off in full. I'm very afraid of debt. Yeah. Um, you're pretty, you're, I would say you're frugal. But I used to be even more frugal and cheap. And Aaron has like helped me, you know, come to the middle a little bit more. I'm not cheap. I just, I'm all about deals. Right. And we bonded over that. Yeah, we bonded about that. Because like, I like, I feel like it's also like a, a woman and man thing. And maybe this is just me. I agree. But like, we'll just be like, I need this. I'm going to buy this. And I'll be like, wait, we need to look at multiple brands and options of what you right. need before we can make the decision. That is that on sale? Put it back. Like I think a great classic example with the gender thing too is like, if someone compliments me on something, I'm like, I got it for $6 <laughs> from Goodwill. And I'm so proud. Whereas like, yeah. Aaron would never tell someone how much he spent on an item, especially yeah. if it was very little. Yeah. yeah. I mean, money is never, I've always loved it. Um, yeah. How are you with money? I'm honestly, I'm, I'm feeling way better than what I was like, couple years back also probably because there's not much much to do so like yeah. i'm not spending like i used to um <laughs> but i've gotten my fi- finances finances more in, in a better place let's just say that okay i depended on my parents for a lot of help a lot of times gotcha. can't do that anymore i mean i could if i really wanted to but now i have fiance so now i really can't like it's like <laughs> we can't go no so i'm getting better but i i've always been one about finding deals and sales absolutely i'm with you but then i'll look up and i'm like why did i spend so much money on that dinner like money i food think money was- i agree especially before the pandemic like eating out was where I spent the most unnecessarily, I think, with, oh, like, yeah. food and, and drinks. drinks. Oh, my God. Wit and I, oh. like, it would, if it would just be us two going out, like, you don't even realize it until you get home the next morning and you're like, shit. Yeah. That was also, unnecessary. Also, sometimes when someone's like, okay, I just bought a round of shots for everybody, you're like, awesome, but now I feel obligated to buy a round of shots shit. for everybody. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Depending on the friend. Thanks, friend. If, if it's a really wealthy friend, sometimes I'm like, great, and I'm done. If the friend hasn't asked me, hey, can you buy a round? Then don't expect me to buy a round. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, so guys, on average, I don't think this is a very surprising stat. No. Americans carry $6,194 in credit card debt. And that's according to the 2019 Experian Consumer Credit If Review. anything... I would have expected it to be higher. I, Me too. I mean, luckily, none of my credit cards have that limit. So I'm I'm fine. <laughs> I, yeah, I've, I've never spent... I think the closest I got to spending that much on a bill was like during my hospital stuff. Yeah. But even then, I always paid it right off because I just, I don't like it lingering. Ugh, it's scary. Yeah, that's rough. So other stats the average student loan debt per borrower mm-hmm. was $32,731 in 2019 Ugh. a much bigger number than the credit card debt yes but this is an increase of approximately 20% just from the 2015 to 2016 school year Holy and crap. most people who borrowed bet- most people who borrowed borrowed between 25,000 and 50,000 
And also over 600,000 people who had student debt had over (coughs) $200,000. Student forgiveness. (coughs) (laughs) And that number is expected to increase over time. Goodness gracious. I mean, I will tell you, as the wife of someone in medical school, if you're going to medical school, law school, any type of grad school program, you're way more likely to have six figures of debt. Like, it's very common. I didn't, I didn't have, I luckily didn't have student loan debt from undergrad because my parents paid for college, but... For grad program, my mom was like, I'll help you once you finish. I don't know what that help is. We'll find that out soon, hopefully. You're going to finagle Yeah, I, now stuff. I have like my first student loan debt right now. And it's kind of scary to see that on my credit report. Like, oh, yeah. shit. Yeah, it's. I think it's just become like a really normal part of our society to have student debt. Yeah, it sucks. It's crazy. Well, guys, I don't know if you figured it out by now, but today we are talking about money and finances, and we have our first official guest on our show. She's a personal financial advisor. She is great. I think you guys are Mm going to love her. She has such amazing tips and, and... yeah, you're going to love her. So grab a pen, grab a notebook. This is a noteworthy episode. Get ready for some information. It's going to be great. Yeah. This is Loud. And Louder. With, with Holly, Holly and Misha. Misha. Cha-ching. Money, money, money. I should have sang the Cardi B song. Elizabeth and I met in, was it first grade? Or kindergarten? Yeah, that's Beaver what, Creek Elementary School. Yeah, I think it was kindergarten. Beaver Creek. <laughs> I think we had a whole song about it. Um, to like a Sesame Street tune. Probably. <laughs> um, so, but then Elizabeth moved in like second grade and we haven't seen, right? I moved before third grade, yeah. Yeah, okay. She's like, I was there till sixth grade. <laughs> <laughs> and so we haven't seen each other or spoken in like 20 years and then we connected on Instagram and then Elizabeth reached out about enjoying the podcast which like warms my heart and then she offered if we ever did a money episode um, to be a guest because she's uh, what's your official title? I'm a financial planner we'll go into the details perfect (laughs) Um, and we were like that's perfect because we've been wanting to do a money episode for like months it's been on our list Um, so yeah welcome Elizabeth Great to have you. Yeah. Good to see you. You really changed since second grade. (laughs) Please do tell. Do tell. How has she changed? (laughs) Oh, no. Um, I would describe Holly as kind of like the second grade version of a mean girl. Oh! (laughs) Okay, I swear. I like um, it. She's turning red. Yeah, it's true. I mean, obviously I liked you because we were friends and you were in my friendship club. Which was a thing. Which I don't remember. Like, tell me more about the club. So I found this. My mom and I went through, like, boxes of old photos. When you move, I moved six times before college. So we just, like, moved stuff with us forever. And then finally unpacked it. And I found this, um, I would call it a charter document for a (laughs) friendship club, complete with like a contract and a membership list. Oh my God. And I know that I founded the club because on this list, along with Holly, are my sister and my cat. (laughs) But there were other humans as well, right? Oh, yes, yes. There were other humans. We weren't loners. I I just noted that... 
I was I was that person. I put my cat in my friendship club. Which I seems like redundant that because being friends is already like being in the club, kind of. Right, um, and no one signed this contract, right? I mean, we must have had at least one meeting because we did set the rules <laughs> and it specifies that the rules would be set at the first meeting. Nice. Nice. I like it. Yeah, so Holly was a brat. That's cool. Yes. I, I think my transformation started like ninth grade. Jesus. So, uh, it's, it took a while for sure. So I apologize. I will say I was also a brat, and my transformation started sooner, though. So yeah. <laughs> but here we are, and like, how wonderful yeah. that we can reconnect, and you can know like the good me. I hope so. Like, what if there's like a whole like plot, and like Elizabeth's just gonna sabotage this whole episode because oh you were such a bitch. She's like, I have recordings from the playground. No, I'm... she was mainly a bitch to other people. I was a friend. Oh, okay. Well, that so, makes no, sense. No sabotage. Okay. Plot. All right. Cool. Still... Still, though, like, yeah, still unnecessarily bad. bitchy. Yeah. Like, I remember, I think it was first or second grade, I came across, like, this um, project, and it said, like, write and draw three wishes you would want if you had a genie grant you three wishes. And it was, like, make, or not make, but, like, just be rich. Don't make money. Just be rich. Um, that I could fly and that I wasn't such a mean girl. Oh. <laughs> wow. So I was self-aware, but not enough to, like, change. Damn. But here we are, guys. Change is possible. <laughs> All right. Well, on that so anyways, note, yeah, Elizabeth, why don't you give us an introduction of yourself? Yeah. Tell us about who you are, what you do, what you love. Now that I'm an adult and no longer in second grade. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I am a financial planner, but I also like to clarify that because that can mean a lot of different things. Right. So I am a comprehensive planner. I work with clients on all aspects of their, you know, financial security. Um, I also am a fee-only planner. So I only charge my clients by the hour. It means that I'm oh, not cool. selling any products. Um, they don't have to worry about, you know, some of the shady side of the industry that I really hate. Um, and I'm also a fiduciary which is an important oh. word when looking for a financial planner. She's a fiduciary. Because it means... That yes, sounds so fancy. very fancy. <laughs> um, it basically means that my first duty is to my client. So if I was working with you and I could make money by selling something that wasn't in your best interest, as a fiduciary, I'd be barred from doing that. Ah. So, hmm. it's, so you have it's morals. It's really like a... Yes, basically, <laughs> it's like I have, I have morals. Sweet, um, sweet. So we can talk about all of that later and like how to look out for people who are not as ethical, but yeah. I like to, to kind of hit on those high notes. And I should actually say before we jump into things that um, as we're talking here, I, I am a financial planner. I do work with clients individually, but none of the information I share here today should be considered personal investment advice or financial advice. It's really... Yeah. Entertainment only. If okay. you need help on your specific circumstances, talk to a professional. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Yeah. Good disclaimer. Yeah, that's a way better disclaimer than us. Where we're like, we're going to talk about healthcare. Don't listen to most of what we say. We're not doctors, but we know how to use Google. Um, okay, so you have not always worked in finance. Can you talk about that transition and like how you got into this world? 
Yeah, no, I had no intention of doing anything like this out of college. Um, I was working in D.C. in a policy job, which is a very D.C. job. Mm -hmm. Um, And I honestly had made a lot of my own money mistakes. I had built up credit card debt. I was was renting an apartment that was too expensive for my income. Um, And I just, I had no idea what I was doing, Um, which I think is a lot of us. Yep, yeah. (laughs) And um, as I started to kind of self-educate and dig myself out of my own financial holes, um, I I got really excited about helping others do that too. And it snowballed from there. And I finally realized that the DC policy world was not where I belonged long term and that I really wanted to, to switch careers entirely and devote my career to helping people with their own finances. Cool. I like it. And you have like really admirable passions in the world of finance that I would love for you to talk about too. Yeah, so I think if we like look back to your own financial education or lack thereof. Uh, Exactly, that's what I was about to say. Like I remember in high school being shown how to write a check, but Uh no one talks to me about why credit card debt is bad. Or, like, why I should be saving for retirement in my 20s. I literally... No one tells you any of that. Elizabeth, I literally just saw a meme this morning that was like, so what do... Like, it's like us in elementary school. It's like, so what should I do about investing? They're like, here's a recorder. It's like... But do I need a good credit score? She's like, all right, we'll blow in this recorder. It's like, wait, but what do I do with this money? He's like, now play duck, duck. Like, it's like, why are we learning about recorder? Like, no one's going to use a recorder anymore. People are going to need to know about money. Like, yeah. why aren't we taught these things right. in school? And in yeah. the meantime, we are learning by watching. Exactly. Right? Watching the, the process of spending money and the stress around it. And mm-hmm. so I think that what I care a lot about is helping people achieve that level of financial literacy that they should have gotten before adulthood or maybe even at college at the latest. Right. But I also like making or doing what I can to make this industry more accessible. Hmm. Right. When we think about traditional financial planning, um, I'm sure your mental image likely involves an old white guy in yeah. a suit. You need lots right? of He's money. He's like really rich. You need the money money. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And he works with millionaires. Yep. And that is actually, I mean, I can't speak to the old white guy part, except for the fact that women are very underrepresented in the industry. Yeah. But the working with rich people part is accurate. Right. Because traditional financial planners, they make their money by taking a percent of your assets under management. Mm-hmm. Crazy. And so you have to have money for them to make money, so they won't work with you until you have money. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's just unacceptable, right? Like, yeah. people need help getting to that point where they have enough to invest. And we all know there's a reason why people aren't getting the help, but that's a whole different topic. Yeah, that we we're talking about, on. like, society. Yeah, right, right. Money, right. like... We're going to need to be here. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm okay if you dabble in that, though, because you have some really great thoughts on it. Yeah. No, I think that one of the things I have really paid a lot of attention to since starting in this career is that, like, access to this information and access to the resources necessary to build long-term wealth is harder for for women for minorities for someone who doesn't come in with family money mm-hmm. um you know i there are some really interesting i won't say great because they're not great there's some really interesting statistics about debt and um retirement accounts and how white families tend to have like 
65 of them have a retirement account and only 34% of black families do. Mm -hmm. And the statistics are just as bad for other minorities. Um, And when we look at women, women are less likely to invest than men, even though once we feel like we have the knowledge necessary, we tend to do a better job investing than men. Yeah, so something about not being overconfident, like, right. Um, right. ends up translating well. But like, there's also a lot of research done that shows that when financial planners are working with a couple, um, even if the wife is the one taking charge and taking lead of their finances, they spend eighty percent of their time with their eyes focused on the man in the Ugh, relationship. Disgusting. So even like on subconscious levels, like this bias is built into the industry mm. in so many ways. I know my mom's and... like that bias. <laughs> I've seen her financial advisor with my parents, and they were looking directly at my mom. <laughs> they didn't know she's shit. a badass. Yeah, she's a badass. I mean, like, it's not everyone. But no, but I, I can totally see that. Well, she might have had to earn where. that. Right. They probably saw where the money was going around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's all fascinating because I'm not going to lie. I've been saying for years, like, oh, we'll get a financial planner when Aaron's making anesthesiologist money. Until then, that doesn't make sense. Like, we don't have enough money. But everything you're saying makes more sense. Like, how do you get to a great financial place if you don't, have the resources and knowledge right like i just love the concept of having more accessibility for the average person and the average salary and income yeah and i very much enjoy like i help clients where they are so sometimes that's digging out of egregious amounts of credit card debt and sometimes it's planning for you know, passing along generational wealth because they do have that. Mm -hmm. And so it spans that whole spectrum, which I really enjoy because it means that I'm seeing a really diverse set of clients in a lot of different ways. That's really cool. cool. Well, I love love what you do. Same. (laughs) So let's jump into some questions for you. Um, My first one is, what are the most common financial misconceptions or myths? Yeah, there are some bad ones out there. <laughs> this is only going to be um, <clears throat> tip of the iceberg. But starting off, just something that, that Holly has already mentioned is that <laughs> this idea of I'll get a financial planner when I have money. Mm-hmm. And I've been told that by family members and friends multiple times. And I, I think that that ends up, you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. Um, you can get financial planning advice at an affordable rate and that can help you build the platform to build wealth right you need to know what to do before that money is there Mm -hmm. um, because suddenly if you're making a lot of money and you don't know what to do with it and you're not making good decisions with it that money disappears just as quickly right Mm -hmm. so i think getting this advice now whether you're dealing with debt or just low income or planning for the future um it's still worth looking into getting help early um, yeah. and just finding a resource that's affordable for you at the level you're at. You know, that reminds me, one of my best friends, her goal, she just went back to school and one of her goals is to help with financial planning specifically for young athletes, specifically mm-hmm. even more for young black athletes because they fall into this money and will be successful for some years and then once they're done, it's like, where did all this money, where'd the money go? You know, because they just gone. spend. right. 
they uh-huh. spent it on things or they ended up falling prey to right. someone who took advantage totally. of them and didn't have their best interests at heart. Yeah. And they invested in schemes or high risk um, investment choices. Yeah. yeah, it's I think that that's a, a very a niche that's really important yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense because that's also an area where you have to retire earlier because of physical abilities. Right. And, you have to and, plan to have that money. And it's just early. crazy that like people can have like millions and millions of dollar contracts and then when it's done they have nothing to show for yeah. it because of just this life that they're trying to live where yeah. they're not even thinking about investments and you know they're just thinking it's it's a weird paycheck to paycheck millionaire situation. Yeah. It's like wait a yeah. second what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so what are some other ones? What do we got for some other misconceptions? Yeah so I guess another one, well, I'll start with this, and it actually leads into yet another misconception, because like I said, there's a lot of them, but a lot of times I'll talk to clients, speaking of paycheck to paycheck, who are making really good money, but they're in a high cost of living area, and they have a lot of things they like, Mm -hmm. and so it's this idea that because they make good money, and they work really hard for that money, that they deserve certain things with Mm -hmm. that money. Mm -hmm. Um, it's definitely like a hashtag YOLO approach. Yep. Um, living outside of your means now. <sighs> I feel attacked. More in the future. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't even have a job and I feel attacked right now. <laughs> she, she's sweating. I was going to say, this doesn't just apply to people who are making lots of money. There no. are people who have like nothing who say YOLO all the time. Even when I was making good money, it's still, it's like the more money, it's like, I remember, you know, when you get promotions, you're like, before the promotion, you're like, oh man, I can't wait. But with every promotion, it's like, how am I still broke? Because the more money you make, the more money you spend for yeah. some reason. Yep. It's lifestyle creep. Yep. Like, exactly. It's a thing. Um, and I think that it's it's an even bigger problem for, for our generation, for millennials, mm. because we are the first generation to come in and have ready access to credit our entire lives. Uh Hmm. And we have that access to credit without necessarily understanding it. So I remember filling out, I remember filling out my first credit card application when I was 16. Oh, wow. Which you can't, you can't, but I knew I, I knew I wasn't filling it out for real. I put like a, I didn't even know my social security number at the time. I made it up. Oh my God. But the guy told me if I filled out the application, I could get a free t-shirt and free cold stone ice cream. Oh, my, so my first one, my first one was for a free Papa John. Someone knocked on my door at dorm, mm-hmm. at my dorm, and was like, you want a free Papa John's pizza? <laughs> Fill out this credit See, card. I have a very different first credit card story because I... She's like, I've researched all my options. No, I, <laughs> I am very grateful that, like, my older sister was so much better with money than my parents. And, like, I learned a lot from her. And, honestly, Google. Like, I self-taught. But I didn't know that you even needed credit. So, in my mind, I was like, I don't want to build up debt. I don't want to spend money I don't have. I don't even want to be tempted. So, I didn't have any credit cards until I moved to Chicago and then realized... I'm really struggling to get an apartment because have I have no, no credit. credit history. And I was like, but isn't that good that like I don't have any debt? And they're, nope. nope, it's this horrible cycle. So I have a friend, and if she's listening, she'll she'll know who I'm talking about. I have a friend who, her first credit card, she got this, right? And she maxed it out. And then she uh, got this bill, and she's like, well, what is this? Oh, and her mom's no. like, oh. 
This is what you spent. And she's like, wait, I have to pay it back? I oh, thought, God. I thought it just gets replenished on my card every month. Yeah, that's terrifying. But like, that's my point. Even yep. if it's not to that extreme, yep. like this idea that you can spend money you don't already have yep. makes it a lot more prevalent than I think it it has been in the past. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's one of the misconceptions. Like you are doing yourself real harm. Even if you tell yourself that you'll save money or pay back the cards once you make more, um, you know, you're kind of really uh, impacting your ability to improve your financial security in the future. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And that does actually lead into probably for the sake of time, the last of the misconceptions I want to touch on, which is that you don't have to start saving for retirement all the way or right away. You can wait until you're actually like, making bank right until your right. mid-level career like good income now i feel and attacked that's... it took me a while to <laughs> sign on for 401k because i'm like especially my first job i'm like my checks are a thousand dollars like i don't have any extra money to give to retirement that's yeah. happening in 50 years right. and now right. i look at it i'm like crap i could have had twice as much of this if I would have started. I just got my letter the other day and I was like, holy shit. Yeah, we, I haven't started that yet and I don't fully understand how to. So. Well, you can't. You don't have a job, honey. Well, well 401k Aaron, at least. Oh, Aaron, can't for he's in 401k? I don't think so. He just started making you, money in June. <laughs> Elizabeth's like, whoa, so we're in way deeper have, than I thought. Yeah, let's, like, let's pause and break some of this down. Okay, okay. Um, you guys are like shooting off all sorts of Sorry, I'm sorry. So sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we're both like sweating so, here. First off, you should have a 401k with previous employers. Mm. Even if you didn't contribute to it, they might have contributed. Yeah. Or they might have set up an automatic contribution from your salary without you opting in. That's becoming more common, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. The other thing that is worth noting is that you can contribute, Holly, even if you don't have an income right now. See, Michelle? Um, you do have some income mm-hmm. if you're getting any unemployment. I am. That counts as income for tax purposes. So. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, have fun with it. I'm not doing it until I get a job. Sorry. <laughs> you can also contribute to a spousal IRA if your spouse is working. The piece that I think is important to know in terms of misconceptions is that the earlier you start, the more time that money has to grow. And it is often referred to by personal finance nerds as the magic of compound interest. Right. And it really is magical. It is magical. (laughs) If you are saving, say you start at 25 and you save 200 bucks a month into a retirement account Mm -hmm. long-term for 40 years, when you're 65, that'll be half a million dollars. And you definitely did not put that much in. Right. It's because you're invested in equities and stocks and that's growing. And so then when it grows, the interest from that growth also grows and it compounds. Anyway, this is very in the weeds math stuff. Yeah. I I love it though. That's great. I used to love it and hate it when I took finance classes a couple of years ago. Yes. It's fun, and then I'm like, wait, what am I doing again? Yeah, so I think that the retirement piece is one I see a lot. The like, oh, I don't have to, I can't afford to, I don't care if it's 20 bucks a month, you need to start, especially if you have an employer with a 401k match, because if they will match your contributions and you aren't contributing anything, you're throwing away free money. Yeah. And I just realized... I just looked at mine today, and it's still growing from their match, which I didn't realize that would continue to happen. Well, they're not contributing anymore, but but the money is still yours. Exactly. Once you're vested in that match. Right. 
So that gets into some technicalities. It might not be yours right away. I had to stay at my previous employer for five years before the money they put in was fully mine. And then after that, I I could invest. uh, That was my money to move wherever I wanted into another retirement account, to be clear. But it'll grow for for 40 years. I really need to look into this then because I don't know if I have one that I don't know about from previous jobs or what? I know I have one that I, like, I have my big one that I know where that comes from. I have another one that comes in and I have no idea what job. That, I, I have to combine the two. I have no idea what job that comes from. It's like $1,800. No idea where it is from. Well, you can roll those over into a separate account so that they're all in one place. For I need to do that. Jenny was, was just telling me to do that. Oh, so much good stuff already. Okay, and then you mentioned the phrase money baggage. Can you talk to us about that? Yes. So I think that this, um, you know, going back to the the financial literacy piece, um, you know, we aren't necessarily taught a lot of the things we know, but we tend to absorb lessons that we probably shouldn't. So Mm. I think it's like, think back to watching your own parents with their money or your siblings or general societal messages from TV, right? There are, these money baggage, this money baggage that we tend to carry around. So growing up with a single mom who switched careers and went back to school um, and seeing the way she handled money while making nothing as a PhD student, that impacted the way I used my money or viewed my money once Mm -hmm. I was an adult. And I think that whether it's overspending or oversaving or just simply being stressed about it, those messages Mm -hmm. really sink in and we have to be aware that we're carrying them because they could hurt our own financial security. So I feel like my money baggage is the opposite of that. Um, Because my parents, my mom did really well with the money. So I didn't learn to managed my money because I knew that the money was just there. Like you can always fall back. I can on always someone. fall back. <laughs> so I feel like you know, like my grandpa would just hand me a hundred dollar bill when I was like twelve. It was just like this oh, weird damn. so like for me growing up and turning to an adult, like my responsibility was way less than it should have been with how to be responsible with money. So it's interesting how, like, depending on what side you're on, it could have a negative. Like, it's I mean, great that I live that yeah. way, but now, like, it negatively affects me. And my mom is still like, what are you doing? Make a budget. Make a budget. And I'm like. It makes sense, though. You need though, to learn because, that. Yeah. I know. Yeah, like, I, I, I've known families, too, where, like, they're definitely, like, more upper class. And they want to give their kids everything. Right. Especially because they were not raised upper class. Right. But then the kids get into their 20s and they don't know how to do anything with money they just keep asking their parents for money yep. their parents are paying for everything and next thing you know they're like in their mid to late 20s and have like none of their own money and it makes sense yeah um right mine i think my situation was different i definitely was like ooh that's me when you were like even stressing about money because um two of my four parents definitely like living in luxury but it's way above their means. They feel like because they work so much, which like they work insane hours, like crazy. They always they deserve have, it. That they yeah they feel like well we're working so much mm-hmm. we deserve this. I think they also care. To be totally frank, I think they care a lot about appearances, and oh, so yeah. you know um, the electricity would be turned off. But we're in this two story 
huge house with a pool and it's like where are the priorities you know so I just grew up being like I don't give a shit about the luxuries I just want to be secure and safe and like know what my financial future looks like where I can like be comfortable you know it's interesting too like when you see like I feel like I've seen things where it shows like Bill Gates with he wears and it's just like he's in just like you know standard typical and I think about my mom like going grocery shopping and like we were always getting like the generic brand I'm like why do we always have to get the Jewel Lasco lotion? Like, I want this lotion. And she's like, is it on sale? Oh, no? Okay, that's what I thought. Like, because her money was big because she was responsible and didn't, like, it wasn't like a flashy thing ever with her. That's like, good. I never had, like, the name brand, even though we probably could have. I was in, like, Sears Pretty Plus. I hated Sears Pretty Plus. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Yeah, of course, because it's for Pretty Plus girls. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I the whole uh, thing was the and the boys' Mati was in Huskies. Like, why would they call? Why would <laughs> they call a pretty plus in Huskies? Yeah. Some bullshit. Anyway, sorry, I digress. No, that I think that's good. <laughs> it's interesting to hear about money baggage and how it affects your future adult decisions. Yeah. And I don't think you can get rid of it. It's just more about acknowledging it as you yeah. work on your own financial journey. Exactly makes sense. Okay, so now we're getting into some actionable items, which we love. First, can you just touch on um, some tips for saving and budgeting? Oh, boy. (laughs) Like, how much should someone have in their savings? I I recognize that this is a stressful topic for a lot of people. Um, I often think that my clients, before they actually end up meeting with me, um, let me in with, like, the dentist during a root canal. Um, I know that this is, it could be painful to look at your money and acknowledge what you're spending on. So I think that when we talk about budgeting, it's important to know where your money's going so that you know how much you have left over to save. And on savings specifically, I think that it's really important to have those savings set aside so that you don't end up in debt. Right. You can handle any emergencies that come up. And for, for that reason, I like to have actually, like, two pools of savings. Okay. Um, mm. One is rainy day funds. Right. This is, um, well, my rainy day fund usually ends up going to unexpected vet bills. I was like, is a rainy day fund like I deserve a pizza because it's nice and rainy outside? No, <laughs> This is like, okay, I didn't plan for this in my monthly spending, but it's a mandatory expense. Got it. Um, Your I vet bill to- example is perfect. Pets yes. can cost yes. a lot. <laughs> they do cost a and lot. Cars. Have a lot of cars. Car shit that. pops up all the time, I feel. Yeah. So, like, new brakes, that would be a rainy day expense. Okay. Yeah. Um, replacing the water heater. Like, these yeah. things can get pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. So, if you're, if I'm working with a client who's single, doesn't own their home, you know, no dependents, mm-hmm. I would say $1,500 in a rainy day fund is good. Okay. Like, that's okay. what we'd want. Okay. But as soon as you start adding in some of those other expensive factors, a client who does own their own home or has pets or children, then we're looking at a minimum of 3000 is okay. what I would recommend. Mm, that okay. makes sense. And that's just the rainy day fund, though, because then I see an emergency fund as being entirely separate and that is full loss of income i have to cover all of my expenses for x number of months Uh, this could be (laughs) yeah i know 
this is the, the more daunting goal. Okay. So if you don't have anything in an emergency fund, then starting with one month of your expenses is a good goal to aim for. Okay. Ideally, at like fully funded, you'd want three to six months right. of your expenses. Okay. I think after coronavirus, everyone's thinking that it doesn't hurt to have more. Right. Yeah. Um, that, of course, can add up to a lot depending on your spending. And it can take a, lot, a while to get there. But having that money is really important for so many reasons. Um, let's think about if you lose your job and right. you have to cover expenses. But also think about having a major medical emergency right. and you can't work anymore. Yeah. Or you're going through a divorce or you're leaving a bad relationship. I think yeah. that's something that women specifically mm-hmm. need to be thinking about yeah. is can I get out? Do I have the funds to support myself? Yep. Um, and, and I, again, it's my job to think of the worst case scenario. I hope no one ever needs the money. For that. I feel like but... that that goes back to like back in the day, like people would tell women, like, make sure you're like tucking some money and under the bed in case you have to run or something like oh, God. snatch some of that husband money even, and put like, it away. Even like less dark. Like, because I had an emergency fund, I was able to quit my job to pursue this passion. That's awesome, yeah. And to start this new career. Because I'm self-employed now, and that comes with a lot more volatility. Yeah. And so having that emergency fund, another, um, it's often also referred to as um, an FU fund. Like, if you get so frustrated (laughs) with your employer that you're like, peace out, I quit. Yeah. Um, that is something that you can do if you have an emergency fund. Right, because it's rare so, that you can just pick up and find a new job right away. Most people can't. Yeah. Most people can't leave even if it's a bad situation. Right. Whether professional or personal. Yeah. So I think that breaking savings into those two goals is important. First, you need the rainy day fund. Start with the minimum. Okay. Then start working on that emergency fund. Okay. So that's fascinating because I feel like you know, maybe some random people, myself maybe, um, <laughs> think of savings as also saving for like fun things. Like, oh, when vacation our sa- savings. Yeah. Like when our savings reaches this number, we're going on vacation or like we're going to update our kitchen. I mean, that part's not true. But like, just for examples, I think a lot of people think of savings for like fun, frivolous things. So should that be a separate account or do you just kind of add that on? In your yeah, head? So she's like goes, no fun shit. <laughs> no, you you are allowed to save for fun things. It just cannot be the money that we set aside for rainy day or emergencies, right? right. Like, you're not touching that, right? You just need to like be mm. okay mentally mm. with knowing <laughs> that you cannot touch that for anything. All right, yeah. so we need to save like four thousand dollars before we can go on a trip now. Yeah, huh? if you really <laughs> want to be secure, shit. Which it makes sense because I mean, even thinking about your emergency where. Um, you know, one of Witt's family members had yeah. a major health scare all of a sudden, and they had to pick up and go to New Orleans for, for like what, two, two weeks. weeks. And, and that's, that's expensive. And honestly, yeah. thank God for COVID and the stimulus, unemployment yeah. and stimulus. We were able to do that and like not worry, which was really weird. I mean, we well, we have way more in our savings right now than we did before that trip. Yeah, it was probably like $3,000 in total of spending at least, but... The fact that we were able to do that felt really good because yeah. we had been saving all summer just because we had more income coming in. Because those moments are stressful in to begin with. You don't also want to be stressing about the financial aspect. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think that that's a really important point is that the goal is never the money itself, right? The money is a means to an end. Mm-hmm. The goal is that you can feel comfortable in the knowledge that you're secure, that you can do the things that matter to you and spend on the things that matter to you. Accumulating money for no purpose is never what we're aiming for. Right. Either. Right. Okay. 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 All right. What about this budgeting crap? yeah this is something that no one ever liked i Um, hate budgeting okay so i actually like breaking like when i'm working with clients um we walk through this process i like to break it down into um manageable steps okay because if you were writing a 20 line budget and you were tracking all 20 categories over a month like by month three you're done yeah given it up then i i haven't even gone Yes, right. and putting I mean, in the re- budget even, file. Like, I make the file and all these things are there, and I'm like, never nope. mind. It's overwhelming. Mind. <laughs> yeah. It's overwhelming. It's like saying, okay, I'm going from sitting on the couch all day to working out two hours every day. Right. And if I skip a day, I fail. Right. Like, right. You're not setting yourself up for success. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important, rather than tracking some of the things that are pretty much autopilot things, like, right, your your rent is the same every month. Right. I don't need you to track it in a budget. Okay. Same okay. with, like, general, like, paying for prescriptions at CVS or buying pet food. Those are all things that are not going to vary by, by a lot. Okay. Instead, the areas where people are at risk of spending more than they should food are groceries. Yeah. <laughs> groceries are, are the first one, but yep. the second is what I would call discretionary expenses as a whole. Okay. So, um, there are so many apps for budgeting, and it's really a personal thing. But we actually developed one that goes with my company's model, and so we ask clients to track their discretionary expenses, not individually. I don't care if they have a specific budget for eating out versus entertainment versus clothing. Right. I want them to have a pool of money and all of those things come from that pool. So if you go on an Amazon shopping spree, it means you need to order less takeout this month. Right. And it's that trade-off that instills a little more of that willpower necessary, but in a natural way that doesn't yeah. feel as painful. That's so much more approachable. Elizabeth, I think you're going to have a new client by the end of this, and her name is Misha. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to set up a meeting. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like, I'm very interested no, as like, well. For real, though. <laughs> but that's... No, I'm- always happy to help but the other thing then is that i want you also to be saving for your annual expenses on a monthly basis too and that's where the conversation about vacations comes back in okay because the other place where a lot of people go off of a budget that they've set is when you know everything's going fine humming along and all of a sudden you have a 300 dollars car insurance bill show up out of the blue right who could have saw that coming right right so it's better to be planning for that over a long time saving 50 bucks a month versus having to find that cash in the moment got it the general approach that i take to budgeting is to make it as painless as possible i want clients to be able to manage their money without it taking over their lives Mm. and i think whatever method works for you like that's what you should be looking for yeah got it um i was gonna ask how how do you feel about 
the automatic transfer of X amount of dollars from your checking to your savings on an ongoing basis. <laughs> Mine is so low. <laughs> What'd you say? Mine is so low. Mine right now, I think I have been putting money into saving because I've been <laughs> able to, but my like automatic transfer is like twenty five dollars. It counts. It still counts. It does. Because I realize, like, I don't want to put hard earned money in savings, so I just have been doing it on an automatic basis. But what do you think about that? I think it's great, especially if we're working towards a goal like. If you're trying to fund your rainy day fund and you can save for that automatically every month, perfect. Um, when you have a total for your annual expenses and you know how much you need to save for that, you can set that up as an automatic transfer. So what are you saying? When you're saying annual expenses, what falls into annual expenses versus like monthly or? Yeah. So like, let's say this was like a first meeting with a client and yeah. I would look at all of your transactions, all of your spending, and we would list the ones that are kind of larger one-time purchases. Gotcha. This would be like annual vet bills with vaccinations. Gotcha. Would go there. Okay. Mm. This would be regular car maintenance. Gotcha. Um, if you end up paying taxes in April. If you have, like, membership dues or subscription fees, anything that we know is coming but that doesn't come on a monthly basis. Got it. Okay. Which means you're more likely to forget about it. Right. Exactly. And okay. then you take that total and you divide it by 12, and then you know how much you need to save every month for that. Right. Okay. And then when one of those expenses does come up, so let's say I put a routine vet bill i'm distinguishing those from the emergency vet bills unfortunately so let's say i put a routine vet bill on my credit card i know that that money to pay that off because i should be paying off my credit card in full every month oh. is coming from my annual needs fund <laughs> in <laughs> full like open a whole I, I thought i heard something about like you make sure that it's at least 30 percent is all that's being used in your credit card? Oh, you just, you just got a look from Elizabeth. That's, <laughs> is that no, not a thing? No. That is a thing. Okay. You're, you're like mixing up advice though. Okay. So generally, for your credit score, right. your credit score is impacted by the total percent of your credit utilized. Right. That's oh, where the 30% comes in. Okay, cool. Um, I knew I, okay. In terms of financial security, I don't want you carrying any credit card debt. Because yeah. you're gotcha. paying a lot of money in interest for the privilege of borrowing that money. Gotcha. And that money in interest is coming away from other goals or priorities. Sure. Got it. All right, I need to and, pay that down. like, as long as you're paying them <laughs> off in full, right now, you're under the 30%. Okay. So, like, that's never a concern. Paying okay. your credit cards off in full every month would never negatively impact your okay. credit score. Okay. Good to, okay, cool. Because I feel like I've read things where I'm like, wait a second, so do you want to be at that? Because it's showing that you're utilizing credit but also paying it off? Or... You want access to credit okay. for a good credit score, right? You can't have no credit access. Right. But using that credit is not required. Got it. Okay. Wow, so much good stuff. And that was only part one of two. So yeah. make sure you t tune in next week for the rest of that amazing conversation. Yes. So outside of learning that Holly was a little brat back in the day. <laughs> Guilty. I also learned that I can't hashtag YOLO spend as much as I want to. Even though I deserve things. I deserve <laughs> nice things. We don't deserve anything. <sighs> there are wonderful people and 
even just this country alone who like don't have oh come on don't don't take it there <laughs> <laughs> what when we talk about dogs you know when we talk about I dogs that need a home I feel guilty about everything <laughs> I'm the one who's like showering and I'm like, some people's drinking water is not as clean as the water I wash my butt with. But my therapist is learning, my my therapist is helping me learn that like, you can be grateful for things and acknowledge that without feeling guilty. Yeah, you definitely shouldn't feel guilty while washing your ass. But anyways, what I learned from uh, this first part is that I need to start investing as and like you know saving for retirement before I'm making lots of money. Yeah, I yeah. can't just like wait until Aaron's doctor salary kicks in. Yeah, and I realize like I always thought my savings was pretty good, but it needs to be way higher than I thought because emergencies happen. Yeah, you gotta be prepared. Yep. So hey guys, you want to take a finance class with us? It'll be so fun. It'll, you got we can all be colleagues and like classmates. <laughs> so. Awesome, exciting news. Starting February 25th, Fearless Finance, which is the company that Elizabeth works with, they are holding small group financial planning sessions. So there's five classes. They run every other Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Yes. Each session is only one hour so that it's not like information overload. And usually this um, the, this five class pack would cost $250, yeah. which Still is already a, yeah. a great deal for personal financial planning. Mm-hmm. But with our promo code of loud and louder, all one word spelled out. Our first promo code. I know. <laughs> so if you use loud and louder, you get 25% off of that already amazing deal. What a deal. Oh, yes. So for real, Misha and I are taking this class and yes. you should take it with us. And guys, what's also cool is if you have like a spouse or significant other that lives with you, it's all for a household. So like they can 250 you. or 25% off of 250 and it could be you and your significant other learning yeah. what needs to be done. You don't both have to pay. Yeah. And also, just I don't know if we clarified, this is all through Zoom. So yep. this is for everyone from anywhere yep. making this easy. You could be in your PJs. It's We're going to share. Great. Yeah, it really is. We're going to share um, the link and information in our episode notes as well as on social media. And we also have some other resources that Elizabeth has provided. So. We're going to just, like, attack our finances and be in such a great place after this. I just know it. I can't wait. I'm going to have so much money. Yes. (laughs) Join us, guys. Well, that's our episode. Make sure you leave us a review and five stars, of course, on (laughs) Apple Podcasts. And outside of that, have a beautiful, money-filled, positive day. Yeah. (laughs) This is Loud. And Louder. With with Holly Holly and Misha. Misha.